starting a business, it's, it's a journey. You hit so many highs and a lot of lows. And um, I recently was in the trough of sorrow. This is Kareem Fleming, and you're in the cellar. So let me tell you guys what this podcast is really about. My name is Kareem Fleming, and I'm a local real estate broker in the DMV and entrepreneur to the core. I want to hear the stories of other local business people, their highs, their lows, their obstacles, their disappointments, and finally, breakthrough. Cool. All right. So welcome to yet another episode. I am super excited today to have Isabel McCann. Her company is called Domestic Engineering. Isabel, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. I am super excited to have you here. We are going to dive right in. And one of the most important questions, because I am such a foodie, is what is your favorite order at your favorite restaurant? Oh, that is a good question. I'm also a foodie. Um, my favorite order at my favorite restaurant would be the Wolsey okay. in London, um, near Green Park, near the Ritz. And uh, I like steak free. So I want my steak still almost mooing. And I want my <laughs> chips to be black. I actually say really? that when I order, can they be extra, extra crispy? Almost black is my oh. order every time. <laughs> okay, okay. So rare and blackened French fries. Yeah. <laughs> I have a thing for crispy. <laughs> Very unusual. Very unusual. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So since you've mentioned the UK, mm-hmm. uh, talk to us a little bit about the transition. Did you, did, are you from there and you moved here? Are you there? Are you from here and moved there and moved back? I am actually a ninth generation Washingtonian. Okay. However, my family has a uh, habit of moving to Europe, moving back. So I went to university in England, and then I returned when I started my business, which was a surprise to me, actually. Okay, okay. A good (laughs) surprise. A good surprise. But I'm a 202 girl through and through. Okay. Awesome, awesome. So talk to us a little bit about how you got started with your business, uh, when you moved, uh, when exactly you moved back, and, you know... Talk to us about how you got to the point that you're at today, basically. Okay. So Domestic Engineering is a boutique contracting company with design and build capabilities for residential and commercial spaces. And my background is as a structural engineer. I used to work in mega infrastructure, and I also used to work in investment banking. So my business now is a fusion of the two. And to kind of roll back, in the summer of 2017, I was having a little bit of a, I guess, a pre-quarter life crisis okay. where I didn't think I wanted to be in banking anymore. Working a, a hundred to hundred and ten hours a week will literally make your brain melt. <laughs> did you did you just say hundred and twenty hours a week? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> that is a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. So I came back to DC to go on vacation and just kind of decompress and figure out: Did I want to stay in banking? Did I want to do something else? And during that time period, my mom was going through the process of beginning to renovate our basement. Okay. And uh, as she was going through the experience, I saw how she was kind of engaging with these contractors, and more importantly, how badly they were treating her. And I was, I was kind of gobsmacked. Um, in investment banking, the client always comes first. You bend over backwards for the client. Right. So the fact that this wasn't happening 
really shocked me. And as I saw her go through this process even more, um, I started to hear more stories. And I started to realize that predominantly, it's women who make these key decisions in renovations. Right. And they're spending tens of thousands of dollars, if right. not hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. They're being, being treated really badly, actually. Yeah. They're being, they don't, they just lack knowledge. They're not stupid. And simultaneously, I started to realize how chaotic the renovation contracting business is, which is kind of ironic because in mega infrastructure, there are all these processes and systems associated with the construction project. They're so big that you have to, you have to have these checks and balances. So why is it that a subsect of construction is so chaotic? Right. And I realized there was a, an opening for me to merge my engineering abilities and skill set and approach into this world. Okay. So I started domestic engineering originally as a project management company, but it quickly merged into a design and build business because I wanted to put the client first, but also I wanted to apply an engineering approach. I mean, in applying kind of systems and processes, you can tighten your margins, but also you can think about a project in a totally different way. Okay. So when I engage with a client, mm -hmm. I'm not just thinking of your first renovation, I'm learning about your lifestyle. So are you going to have a baby in a year or two years? So let's think about how that actually applies to the project. Okay. Do you want to add an ensuite bathroom so that way you can you can give your baby a bath in their okay. bedroom? Right. Or actually, let's prepare for the next big renovation in five years' time. So being proactive and thinking yeah. not, not about your needs now, but your future needs. Exactly. Yes. And just putting more organization to it. Contractors are contractors because they don't want to work in an office, right. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. So it's just putting that much more kind of thought behind it. Okay. Um, so my job now is to kind of shake up this industry, and especially in the city, which is so transient. And here's the thing, you wouldn't accept this kind of behavior from your accountant or from your nanny. Right. So why are you accepting it from your contractor? Yeah, yeah definitely shouldn't be like that. So you think the, um, the underlying I'm, I'm glad that it inspired you to start your <laughs> business. Um, but do you think that the underlying issue was a sexist issue, or was it just terrible, terrible customer service? I think it's or terrible. A little bit of both. I think probably a little bit of both. Okay. Definitely a little bit of both. But I think people have forgotten that this is a service industry. Right. I mean, there's so much business. I mean, I, w I went on a date recently, and one of the guys said to me, "You know what? If my job fails, I'll become a contractor." And it, you know what? Anybody can be a contractor, actually. But to be a good one is a totally different skill set. Right. <laughs> and to actually know what your client needs before they know it is a, is a great thing. But right. your job as a contractor is actually to bring someone's vision to life. That's a huge responsibility, right. which we totally underestimate and downplay. Yeah. So it's, it's a customer service thing because they haven't learned about customer service. Yeah. And actually, you should respect that someone's putting their trust in you and giving you a ton of money. Right. So do it right. I found after being in the business for so long in the real estate business is most folks, and not only contractors, most business folks in general, they just think about today when really you should be thinking about blowing your client's socks off so that they can tell everybody else about how, what great of a job you did and bring you more business. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, with contractors, again, like 10 plus years, I've found that usually it's three categories. It's the guy that's somewhat knowledgeable Prices are great, and if you're too eager, you'll jump on board with him, and then the project will get halfway done or not done at all, and you got to switch on the other contractor. 
And then there's the opposite end of the spectrum where someone's maybe like really expensive, but they're super organized and they're super good at what they do. Uh, and then the middle ground is very, very hard to, to find, unfortunately. And um, hopefully you'll change this. I think I will. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, yeah. And for some reason, like I find myself changing contractors like every three years. Some contractors mm. just literally just disappear off the face of the earth. Yeah. Like never hear or see from, see from them again. Um, so unfortunately in real estate, I mean, every business, you should always have backups and yeah, so forth. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, but in real estate, I've found, like, you got to have, like, two or three contractors that you're using consistently because it's only a matter of time before somebody disappears. Yeah. Yeah, um, and hopefully not disappear with your client's money. That hopefully has not, not happened before. <laughs> <laughs> but I've heard of some stories. Haven't we all? <laughs> yeah. Stories yeah, are yeah. shocking. <laughs> no, so have you had any incidences where you have been hired to come in and clean up after somebody that did a really bad job? I have. Yeah. I have. Um, I'm actually working on one of those right now. And it's amazing what you learn. I mean, I think generally you learn from your mistakes. So it's always great when you learn from someone else's mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) But it's amazing. It's amazing what people can get away with. And it's just, I think, really sad because, you know, you should be ethical and transparent. And if you're really good at that, if you're good at what you do, that's all you have to be, right? Um, your work will be, will be valued. So it's a shame when people have to get to tactics which don't work. Yeah. So really quick note, uh, we should probably do another podcast on selecting a good contractor. Yes. Yeah, that would yes. be very interesting. There's a good, yeah. <laughs> I like super, this idea. Yeah, super important. It's usually expensive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we'll, we'll do another episode just on that. So I folks like will that. know what to look for. Yeah, what to, what to do when certain things happen and when to run in the opposite direction. Oh my God, I have a whole list for you. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> so tell us a little bit about some of the hurdles that you um, had to cross with starting your business. I think you mentioned that your business, you started about 22 months ago, yes? I did. Okay, so what were some of the challenges that you faced in getting started and maybe you're still uh, <laughs> overcoming some of them? <laughs> um, so full disclosure, I started my business 22 months ago mm-hmm. and I was 23. Okay. You do a lot of things when you're younger without realizing the full ramifications. So I thought it was a great idea for me to start my business. I remember exactly where I was. I was on my front porch. It was a beautiful September day. I thought, wow, do you know what? It's not often you take a risk on yourself, so I'm just going to do it. Yeah. I believe in myself enough. Um, incredibly empowering. But... At 23, you have no money. And uh, like me, I also had no startup experience. So I think I started off my business with $500 in my bank account. And my dad gave me a check for 250 so I could pay for my insurance. (laughs) So so it wasn't even for... (laughs) He was like, you need to have insurance. Um, So that was incredibly difficult. But like any engineer, I kind of... I reverse engineered it. So what did I need to know? So I took probably 25 people out for coffee and they gave me all this free advice which was so helpful and then I went to the library and I researched so that was difficult and I don't necessarily recommend it um looking back on it now now that I know everything I would be very scared to do that again but I'm so glad I did but the real um hurdle that I have overcome and faced is sexism okay um I know you all can't see me, but I am wearing heels and a dress. And uh, that's actually what I wear every single day, including on a construction site. Really? Oh, I'll switch into my my boots. But um, But you're keeping a dress. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes a skirt. (laughs) Sometimes, you know, tight jeans. But, like, I like like my clothes and I like to look good. That's part of who I am. 
And I made a decision about seven years ago when I first got into the construction industry to keep wearing what I wear, to not change who I am. And if it gets people to pay attention to me and then they actually listen because I'm, what I'm saying is right or good, right. so be it. Um, so in the UK, I didn't really have too much of an issue. But when I came, when I moved back to the States and I got into construction, I was shocked at kind of the comments and just the negativity that I got. There was a lot of, oh, I mean, it's everyone's first assumption that I'm the interior designer. Mm. You know what? Actually, I'm okay with that because it disarms people. And I, I like the look when people look at me like, oh, yeah. oh no, she's not. <laughs> what do you mean? She's the contractor? What? <laughs> um, but I got a lot of, she's too pretty, she doesn't know what she's talking about, she's a little girl. Or if I disagree with someone, don't, my favorite, don't be so emotional. Oh my gosh. But I'm also at the same time someone who likes to please people. So it was really difficult to begin with for me to hear all these comments and to kind of just sit with it and not respond. But actually, my mom is English and um, is very typically English in many ways and is um, stone cold. Okay. And that is, there's nothing scarier than a woman who's silent. Mm. So I started to like learn that you just, you sit with it and right. you don't respond and it doesn't matter. So when I rock up to construction site, yeah, I might put on my Timberlands or I'll stay in my heels depending on where I am. But I know everybody's name. I know what everyone's good at. I can speak to them in Spanish. If they've done something wrong, I will call them out on it in English or in Spanish. And I know my clients. I know what they need. And I love what I do. And I know the project inside and out. Okay. So for me, it's about respect. Um, and I don't need them to like me. I need them to respect me. Right. And that's a totally different thing. And learning the difference between kind of personal and business was a hard lesson. It was a very difficult lesson. But totally worth it. I, um, I, had this, I had this client call me about four months ago and she was freaking out because her fridge had been delivered two days early and was sitting outside in the rain. And I was like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And I had to go to dinner an hour later. So I was wearing my dress and I was like, okay, I'm going to see if I can get this fridge in by myself. And it's, pour and it's pouring. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> and it's, it's a Blomberg a Blomberg fridge, which is very tall and very skinny. So it can is fit. It like a counter dip fridge? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just, yeah, counter depth. Um, and I was like, okay, so I know it can fit through this door in Georgetown. I was like, my, all my guys, they all work, they all live deep in Virginia. So I was like, I know if I have to call them, I will. But let's see if I can do this on my own. And I go to the gym, you know, four or five days a week, and I can deadlift 180. So I'm like, okay, okay. I'm strong. It's like, I got this. I got this. I, I can push, I can pull. Let's, let's see what I can do. And so I get there, and I, I change. I put a T-shirt over my dress, and I put on, like, my, my trainers. I'm like, okay, so I open the door. I'm like, okay, let me, let me just see if I can push it in. So I give it like one good push and it falls in. And then it gets stuck. I'm like, fuck. Sorry, actually, maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> no worries. No worries. <laughs> so I then like, so I'm on the outside. So I then crawl up the fridge into the house. I'm like, okay, let's see if I can pull it up. So I do that. And then I slide back down the fridge into the outside and then give it another push. And I go back and forth for like 30 minutes. So my, my idea is that you can push it up and tilt it in, like with a somersault, right. and do it again, and then tilt it again to like the left. So I've done like three somersaults. Oh, gosh. And after an hour, and it's pouring, and I'm sliding up and down this fridge back and forth, and right. I'm covering over like, I'm gonna get it, I'm gonna do it, because I'm gonna <laughs> show like, these guys. I'm doing this today. <laughs> I'm doing this today. So I finally got it, in, got it in, and I was so happy. Oh, I'm like, job well done. I was like, oh my God, I have to go to this dinner now. <laughs> I'm like so dirty. Oh so like I took my, my t-shirt off. My dress was kind of dirty, but it was yeah. okay. It was black. I got away with it. And the next morning, my, my guy showed up to this house. And I was like, by the way, I got it in by myself. Right. They're like, oh 
my god, their jaws <laughs> hit the floor. Next level respect, though. Yeah, so I got a lot of respect for that. So my thing is, earn their respect. And you have to earn it. Yeah. But also believe in yourself. And don't take shit. Yeah. So I've overcome it. There's still lots of, you know, comments from strangers. But, you know, I'm good. I mean, he, this contractor once said to me, you're a, you're like a man, but in a woman's body. And he meant it as an insult. And my opinion is, you want, sure, I can do business like a man. And if I can also juggle like a woman and think long-term and prioritize in a way that sometimes men can't stereotypically, that makes you <laughs> lethal. So I'm not there yet, it's, but I would love to get there. Sounds like the best of all worlds to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's, so like, I, I like how you mentioned the whole you don't need to like me, you just need to respect me. Because yeah. that's like one of my go-to mottos. And um, there's this one client, for example, so you know my background is yeah. uh, pretty heavy on property management. And so I had a property that I managed for this guy out in Old Town. Um, and his tenant was just, I mean, the neediest tenant you could ever imagine. And he, he was always trying to reach out to the owner. So one of the big no-nos with property management is mm -hmm. like the, the tenants never reach out to the owner. You always try for that not to happen because it usually okay. leads to trouble. Yeah. Anyways, so he was always uh, mentioning that he could manage a property on his own and question why I was even in the picture. Anyways, so after maybe like nine months of like back and forth, um, I finally pulled him aside and I said, look, whether you, whether you like it or not, we're going to work together. Mm -hmm. You don't need to like me. All you need to do is respect me. Yeah. And it was one of the few times he didn't have anything to say. <laughs> so um, long story short, he moves out. And three years later, he finds me on LinkedIn. And he goes, um, hey, my buddy is, is renting his house. You should, you should contact him. So what? I'm thinking, I'm think, first of all, I'm thinking he's joking, right? I'm like, you never liked me. Like, what are you talking about? Then I started to get worried because he was one of those guys. It's kind of interesting. So long story short, he um, contacted me with his buddy, and his buddy had this beautiful house out in Vienna, and I ended up renting the house for like $7,000. And it was the most expensive house that I rented. And so... I ended up talking to him. I was like, hey, let me take you out to dinner. He refused to let me give him a gift. He refused to let me take him out to dinner. He refused everything I would offer. So anyway, so I ended up asking him. I was like, so why did you recommend me in the first place? Like, I didn't think, yeah. I don't think that you even liked me. <laughs> so, so he goes, well, tell you the truth, I didn't like you, but I respected you. And I liked the way you did business. And I will always refer people to you if, if I can. There you go. So I was like, okay, then. <laughs> Let's roll with that, yeah. then. <laughs> Anyways, enough about me. Um, so if you could reverse the clock back 22 months, mm -hmm. what would you wish you have known then that you know now? Um, that's a hard one. I would say to totally trust myself and trust my gut. Um, there are a number of times when I came into conflict with subcontractors about how to do something. And to begin with, I would generally back down because my assumption was... They're two or three times my age. They have all this more experience. But here's the thing. Don't be confrontational. Yeah, yeah, but when you're right, you're right. And actually, I've had to learn this over the course of, you know, last 22 months with kind of hard, hard consequences. And age is just a number. But, you know, age doesn't necessarily mean that you're right. And it's very hard when you're a woman and you're in a man's world and they 
try to kind of use that against you. But my thing is, look, trust yourself. And if you're right, you're right. Um, and if they really believe they're right, they will push back. But generally, they don't. And with that, actually, learn to say no. Yeah. No is an important and very powerful thing. I can imagine. Um, to clients, to contractors, to the kind of, in the whole industry. And I'm now very good at it. It's my favorite word. <laughs> <laughs> but people don't hear enough of it. Right. So, so how does it work, for example, so you, so for example, let's say you have a, a job, right? Mm -hmm. And you've been contracted to do X, Y, Z. Mm -hmm. Midway through, a client decides they want to throw B in the mix, but they don't want to pay for it. Have you had that happen, and how do you handle those situations? Um, I've definitely had that ha happen. People will take as much as they can get. Of course. That's, it's the nature of people. Yep. Um, it kind of depends what it is. Okay. Uh, I think if it requires a lot of labor, I'm not going to do it. I mean, I have a very set contract. I mean, this is why contracts exist. Right. Um, it's very clear about what you will and won't do, and if you want more, you got to pay for it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just that simple. Very simple. <laughs> but, you know, if it's a small thing and... I like my client, it's a good relationship. Um, you know, for me, it's not about the one project, it's about building a relationship. Yeah. So if it's not too much sweat off my own back, sure, I'm happy to help them. Okay. But you know, they've gotta be the right client and um, it can't cost too much. Okay, okay. <laughs> cool. Yeah, so it, so it all comes down to being reasonable, basically. Yeah. So if it's a small enough request, Absolutely. you won't sweat it because you're yeah. looking at long term. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But um, you know, that's also when the word no comes in handy. <laughs> right, right, of course, of course. Because people are going to always ask and they're going to push and push and push until they get pushed back. And they will take, they will take as much as, as you'll give them. Exactly. Yeah. And here's the thing, like no is not actually being told no is not that scary. Right. I had this one client who told me, um, ask for forgiveness, not permission which I thought was incredible. So, <laughs> so you know, if you ask for something, if they, the worst someone's going to say to you is no. Right. It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't hurt you. Yeah. So the same goes for my clients. I, I feel free to ask, but I'm going to say no mm. sometimes. You know, it, that, that, that leads me to another story um, that just it, it bothered me for like years where I just can't understand how some people think so short term. Mm. And so, for example, um, I briefly mentioned that me and my buddy used to flip properties. And um, we had a contractor one time. The scope of his job was basically he was in char charge of the entire renovation. Okay. And it was like a $90,000 job, right? Coming towards the end, um, he installed the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And um, we, we came through for a walkthrough and there were no handles on the kitchen, on the cabinet. So we asked him, hey, what happened to the cabinets? Uh, what happened to the handles? Didn't they arrive? So he goes, oh, the, the handles are there. So we're like, so why aren't they on the cabinets? <laughs> <laughs> so then he goes, well, that wasn't a part of the contract. So my buddy at the time was working with him. And I, was, I was away doing something. Mm -hmm. So there was this huge spat about these handles. And we were fairly new to construction and projects and so forth. And so long story short, I end up asking him, so, so how much is it really? Like, he ended up saying, fine, I'll do it. So in hindsight, I asked him, how much really was it going to be for us to pay for you to put the handles on? $150. <laughs> so, wow. like, literally, I fell silent for five minutes because I just couldn't conceive the logic behind arguing over $150 when you have a $90,000 job, and we had like two other projects coming up. 
Needless to say, that was the last job he had. Oh yeah, I bet. <laughs> so it, it just it just blows my mind how reason and again thinking like long term just just is not in the thought process of most people. But do you want you see this a lot? It's this very fixed mentality of I want this and he's gonna he has to pay me for this. Where you know you have to be flexible in this right. industry. You have to. Yeah. It's a give and take kind of situation. It is. It is. Um, you know, it's that's a very old boys mentality, if yeah. you will, and it's gotta change. Yeah, I think it definitely should. Anyways, I know you are way smarter <laughs> than making that kind of mistake. <laughs> but anyways, okay. So, tell us about something that you have failed at and what the end result was. Okay. Um, about six months ago, a developer, a very high end luxury developer, asked me to come in to do a proposal. So he wanted he just built these beautiful condos in the West End, and I had been brought in by his kind of VP to, he wanted me to do a proposal for the punch-out list. There were 22 units, you know, a unit was a minimum of 800,000, with the top unit being 4 million, and they all had a lot of items on their punch list, and they didn't have the capabilities to do this, um, and kind of my skill set and my my knowledge and my kind of connections allowed me to, it was kind of high-end, construction concierge okay. is what we called it. So they brought me in, the constru- the head of construction was in this meeting, the head of real estate was in this meeting, the CEO was in this meeting. And, you know, we talked about it for a while, the CEO left, and then it was just the construction manager and the head of real estate. And we spent, I think, two hours in this meeting. Okay. And so just so the folks know what a punch list is, it means, and just to make sure we're on the same page as well, a punch list is basically most of the work has been done, it's just the final details need to be done, yes? Yeah. It's those small tweaks. So it's like putting, you know, you know, painting like where you have like a mark on the wall right. or like a co- you need to caulk something. It's the small okay. like final details. Right. Paint touch-ups, doors yeah. that are not quite set right. Yeah. That, that kind last of like kind of five to 10%, okay. which is actually, it turns out, the most effort. Oh. It's the hardest to get done. It's yes. the most painful yes. bit. And in luxury real estate, the, those small things matter yeah, you know, most. if you're spending $4 million on a place, you better get right, it right. Right, <laughs> So this was actually the punch list for the warranty. So people had already moved in. Construction had been delayed. So, I mean, the West End, we all know where that is in D.C. Mm-hmm. You can imagine the type of people here. Right. They're not all thrilled. Um, and I had been... Originally, my, my friend who worked for this company had talked to me about this six months earlier. And so here I was six months later, sitting, talking to everyone about this, this work. So... I created a proposal for them, and I probably spent 65 hours on this proposal. And I thought I had this job wow. in the bag, by yeah. the way. So in this proposal, I wrote out exactly how to do this project. And I'd never priced out a project like this before, you know, 22 units, different sizes. I, there was a lot of kind of engineering thought put behind mm-hmm. it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I gave away a few tips and tricks. And about a week later after submitting it, they told me they weren't going to give me the job. Okay. And I was completely shocked to be honest because I thought I had it in the bag you know every conversation we had implied that it was mine um they hadn't even interviewed anyone else for it um and here I was I didn't get the job and I'd show them how to do the work I thought damn yeah Yeah. so not my favorite moment for my business but actually a really good learning moment because I learned actually how to do this work there's definitely a gap in the market for it and uh there's a fine balance when you're trying to get work, and you know this was a very high-paying job. Right. Um, to how much work you put in versus not giving away all your secrets, right. and how do you kind of balance the two? So, I've definitely learned from it, yeah. um, and good connections to make, and also you know I've now learned how to kind of build out this kind of proposal. 
So, so um, that ended up being a great learning experience for you. Mm-hmm. Had it been, so if you did it today, yeah. what would you have changed? Not giving out as much detailed information? Definitely not as much detailed information. Um, I probably I probably would have spent 40 hours on it. I would have capped it um, and not shown them exactly how to do it. Okay. Um, and the rest, yeah. you know. Learning opportunity. Okay. No, I can I can definitely uh, <laughs> I can definitely understand that. Uh, so so in real estate, just to give mm-hmm. you an example, um, some realtors, for example, so let's say you're trying to sell your house, right? Mm. Um, some realtors, most realtors have their own approach, but yeah. it's, it's one one of two. And uh, interesting enough, I've met some realtors where they'll come to your house, they will take a look at your house, and they will say. Um, so, you know, what, do, you know, what questions do you have? Do you, you know, what are your, what are your impressions of me? Do you want to work together and so forth? And the owners will always ask, what do you think I should list for? Yeah. And so I always prefer to give, again, because being a minority, being young, uh, being a little bit aggressive, I tend to give a lot of information mm-hmm. and that is like dancing a thin line because you never want to give too much information. Yeah. So I have had lots of situations where, People literally call you in and they take everything that you gave them and try to rent the properties themselves or sell the properties themselves. And that's a little bit unfortunate. But on the other end of the spectrum, a lot of agents will not, they will simply not give anything. They will take the brochure back Mm -hmm. with them. If you're not able to commit, they will not tell you a list price or anything until you commit to moving forward with them. So that's, it's it's very interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. And I think it, it can go both ways where, Withhold information can seem like you like you don't know, mm-hmm. and it may be an issue to work with, or it can come off come off as you are so confident that this person is going to work with you, you don't even need to give the details. So yeah. it's like a it's like a double edged sword. It definitely is. Yes. So I have a very interesting question. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're young. Yes. You're uh, very attractive. Thank you. Why, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you have? And I know a lot of ladies ask this question, um, my lady friends and so forth will ask this question, uh, what happens when you have an, a client that just like won't stop bugging you about like dating you or drops these <laughs> inappropriate, they give you these inappropriate compliments and so forth? Like how you, I'm sure you've gotten that before. How, how do you handle that? You know what? I've never really had that before. Really? Oh my <laughs> I've had that with construction workers. Okay, okay. So, I mean, most of my clients okay. tend to be middle-aged women okay. who are quite wealthy. Okay. Um, so if they're hitting on me, <laughs> you know, that's a different experience. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, I've had to deal with it with construction workers. There's okay. a lot of that. Okay. Um, Your workers or subcontractors? Or subcontractors, workers, um, not my workers. Okay. I had one for a while and I made it very clear, like, no, okay. business is business. Not Don't, bad. you know, if you, if you want to work for me, you know, yeah. you can go, you, well, first I'm not going to date you, right. but also that's just like their, their boundaries and their lines. Um, so it's just, I shut it down. Thank you, but no thank you. Um, you know, I'm, I like to date, I'm single, but like I have a professional life and I have a personal life and they're very different. Right. Um, so I've had to learn how to do that. But I also think that if a client, actually, you know, think about it, I've had a few situations with clients. Um, you know, if, if a client is inappropriate, they're not worth my time. Actually, just walk away which is also part of the con of learning to say no thing. Okay. Um, if they don't respect you, I mean, here's the thing. I'm a professional first and foremost right. in this industry. I'm here to help you create a vision for your home or for your life. So if you, you know, most of my clients are also like, 
are older. Okay. Um, so not also my type. Right. Um, <laughs> but you know, if you don't respect me as a professional, yeah. that says it all. Like if you're gonna hit on me, then you're not, you know. Right. I mean, if it was a 20, you know, 32 year old, maybe that'd be a different situation. Okay. <laughs> but no. <laughs> no. So yes, you heard that. Isabel is single. <laughs> but cool, okay. okay. That, shed, that sheds a lot yeah. of light on that. And so, is there anything that I asked that you would like to mention to somebody maybe that is thinking about starting a business, regardless of what businesses may be, um, that may give them that extra push for them to start? Um, you have to push through. I think a lot of businesses fail in their first year because they don't have enough money. So you have to really, like, you have to pay attention to the money. And right. that was, um, you know, I used to work in investment banking. So I went from having an investment banking lifestyle to... Startup lifestyle. And very that is different a... lifestyles. <laughs> <laughs> Those are opposite ends <laughs> yeah. of the spectrum. Those are very opposite, yeah. I like to eat, and mm. I like to, you know, I like shoes, okay. and I like cars. <laughs> very expensive. So habits. yeah, I'm I'm not a cheap individual to be honest. <laughs> so it's it's been a learning lesson. Um, but here's my thing. What I the thing I love about this country is people are so willing to give you their time. If you are going to start your own business, there's so much kind of just sheer joy and happiness for you. And, you know, you go, girl, and all the rest. So take advantage of that. You know, meet with people. Take them out for coffee. For five bucks, you will get so much wisdom. I found that so interesting. I meant to uh, to ask you about where did you get the idea of interviewing and talking to those 20 or 25 individuals? That's like, I mean, that's genius. That's like <laughs> the cheapest advice you could get. It really is. <laughs> um, growing up, my mom always had lots of dinner parties. And the expectation... When the expectations that us kids had to sit at the dinner table with, you know, all her friends and you had to ask some questions and you had to engage. So we grew up in a very kind of grown up way. So we met lots of interesting people. Um, so I've and I've always I've always as a child, I always liked grown ups. But, you know, I have I know about my network and a lot of people don't like to talk about this. There's a lot of taboo. But actually, if you come from a network, don't. Don't exploit it, but, you know, tap into it, right. you know, and also at the end of the day, like your network is helpful, but you're only as good as, you know, you can produce. Right. So, yeah, I asked for help. I asked for advice. I thought about everything that I needed. So I needed to understand financing from like a startup business point of view, not high financing, but lowbrow marketing. Um, how was I publicize myself? How was I get new clients? Right. You know, how do I kind of, you know, build up a business? Right. Knowing not a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my grandpa would always say, he was always full of quotes. And mm. one of his quotes was, closed mouths don't get fed. Yes. And, <laughs> you know, a lot of people end up being very pridey and egotistic. And I'm not going to ask him this because I don't want him to know that I, you know, that yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And to me, one of the most critical characteristics that you need to have is just to leave your ego and your pride at the door Absolutely. when you're getting started. A hundred percent. And yeah. actually just like going off that, I think, especially like for our generation, um, we rather text than call. Right. Calling saves so much time and just like being up front. But one of the first things I learned when I started working was instead of researching my issue and like going on and on, just ask, just ask my boss the question. Yeah. It's so much faster to go directly to the source. And I think, you know, as the quote goes, you know, you just, you got to check your ego and ask. Yeah, you just have to. You it just saves have to. so much time. It does. <laughs> it does indeed. So when you got, when you first got started, did you have a, um, so it sounds like you have, you had multiple individuals that were very knowledgeable that gave you advice. Did you have like one mentor that was already doing what you wanted to do? 
I didn't actually, and I wish I had, but I think, I mean, when I originally started my business, it was originally project management before it was actual kind of design and build because I wanted to see the spectrum. So the idea was refresh, redesign, renovate. So I kind of covered a spectrum to see what I was good at, Um, kind of hedge my bets a little bit. And so, and it was like that because I realized it's such a transient city and there are lots of people who are willing to spend money on having, you know, help and getting things done, but don't have the resources. Like one of my clients was um, this Danish woman who moved to DC for a year. And then my product was called Home in a Box. And so I met her, she told me what her style was and what she liked. And by the time she moved to DC, her apartment's fully furnished. Wow. She walked in, everything down to the last teaspoon was done for her. Everything was done. Everything was oh, done for her. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I made very little money on the project, but it was a great experience. Yeah. Sounds like a fun project. Oh my God, it was a, it was a really great project. Yeah. Um, so now I kind of, I have more of a mentor now. I get a lot of, uh, go to different people for different needs. Okay. Um, but I'm beginning to understand like the power of having a mentor. Yeah, definitely. I think so. My biggest, um, my biggest mistake I think when I started the property management business was I didn't get a mentor until like two or three years in. Mm. Um, and then my second thing, which you touched on, was the first year I I just didn't pay attention to finances yeah. at all. Yeah. And didn't realize it until like a year half in. I think randomly somebody asked me about the acquisition cost of each client yeah, and then like what I was actually producing and, you know, income and expenses or whatever it was per month. And I had no idea. Yeah. And I was so embarrassed and I was like, that's probably important. <laughs> it's a rude awakening when you don't realize like some of the finances, like, oh my God, really? Yes. <laughs> really? Yes. Yes. And, and a lot of the time. So now, um, like my friends and stuff that start business or have started businesses and they're you know, a couple of months in, I'll ask them, so like, you know, what's your conversion rate? You know, what are you actually doing per month? And if they give me that, that facial expression that I had when that guy asked me, I'm like, uh, if you need help, you let me know. Yeah. But that's very important. It's incredibly important. Yeah. I mean, knowing you like your overhead costs. You got to know it. You should know, you should know exactly how much it costs you to acquire every client yeah. and what you're doing every month. And if you're not Chances are you're probably not making money. Yeah, which is which is very important. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta make money. <laughs> yes, you gotta make money. Gotta make money. Cool. So, anything else that we should cover that we haven't that you'd like to mention? Um, I think in this industry there's a there's kind of a knee jerk reaction from a client, which is to choose the the cheaper contractor, or to go with a guy who says they're gonna take less time. But you know what? This industry is full of bullshit. And generally, they're lying to you. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is exactly why we need to do a separate podcast on how to filter through all the bullshit. There's a, you know, there's a lot of it. And, yeah. like, it's shocking to me. Um, you know, I, here's the thing. I tend to cost more and to take more time, but it's because I'm being totally transparent with my client. I would much rather set the expectations and meet them rather than... You know, the contractor, I, I personally hired a contractor uh, two years ago for a project, and he told me he was going to cost X and take six weeks. It took us, I think, 20 weeks to do the project. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And um, cost us, yeah, double the amount. And it's just, it, it's inherent because people want to win the job. Right. But when you go out with that kind of premise, yeah, you're going to, you look better on paper. But here's right. the thing, you are then going to, not meet expectations. So you're going to have a really bad relationship from yeah. then on. Yeah. My, I'd rather, you know, be a little bit higher, but actually, like, it's not a relationship for now. It's a relationship for always. Exactly. So it all, it comes back to, like, we were talking about before, where most folks only think about 
the job today, right now, instead of, you know, giving the fair price. Yeah. Um, and then another thing we can talk about is, you know, I think it's super important as business people for us to give prices that motivate us to do the job. Oh, definitely. Because yeah. a lot of the time, and I always ask this, if I feel like, so, if for, for example, I have a job on McLean, and um, my guy gave me a price that just, it seemed very low. Yeah. And so I said, are you sure you want to stick to this price before I run it by my clients? Because I feel Ooh. like you're not going to be motivated to do this job. Good question. Once you get into it. Yeah. And so then he was like, so then he started asking me questions about the job again. He's like, yeah, let me. <laughs> let me reevaluate <laughs> let that Let me one. reevaluate it. So then he went back and the job price almost doubled. Yeah. So what would have happened there is it, it would have been quite possible for him to start the job, feel like he was getting shortchanged. Yeah have a bad attitude, not do it properly, and that might have been the last job. Because, yep. you know, I, I, I'm the middle guy, and if you don't take care of my clients, I can't continue to use you. So super, super important. And that's actually really interesting. It's not often you hear someone ask you to reevaluate. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's incredibly kind of you, because you could screw them over. There's that, and then I always think about, like, I'm so fixed on thinking long-term these yeah. days versus short. So, and my thought process is... If he messes up, it's my headache to deal with, and I got to go back and tell my clients that the guy that I recommended messed up, oh, which is a conversation <laughs> I don't want to have. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I would much rather him charge a price that he felt was fair mm. and them say no, get somebody else or whatever it may be, yeah. um, than to end up in that situation where I'm like, ah, my guy messed up. I'm so sorry. And then I end up, a lot of time, I end up you know, giving some of my proceeds to make, you know, to do yeah. good. To do it um, right. To do it right. So, on a side note, what are you curious about right now? Uh, maybe that's in your industry, that's a little bit different from your industry. What are you curious about? Um, being from D.C., I'm also on this um, organization called the Glover Park Community Fund. So, we're trying to become a main street. Um, the issue of density is becoming a greater and greater issue. I mean, as you know, the population increases. So, I think there's a really interesting thing to learn about density and affordable housing. So if you think about Amazon mm -hmm. coming to Arlington, is it going to completely change the the market? And are people going to be pushed out? I mean, because that's a huge problem. Right. So I think as a as a contractor, I'm interested in understanding what does it take to make beautiful spaces mm -hmm. that are worthy of people. I mean, building these horrible, like disgusting things to look at, which people don't like and enjoy and treat well, I think is is a waste of money actually long term. Right. So how do we kind of deal with the density issue and also ensure that we're being inclusive? That's super important. That's very important to me. Super important. And something yeah. I'm learning more about. Yeah, so we, um, we talked really briefly before the podcast started about um, Amazon moving into the area, and there are a lot of pros, but there are also some unfortunate cons that come along with uh, an influx of high net worth individuals. And so we spoke about um, possible gentrification down in that area, the Mount Vernon area, and kind of bounce around some ideas as far as, you know, how um, how the county should should approach it. And, you know, just, again, just all about inclusion and having everyone is for making areas better, but how do you do that without running everyone out of the area and jacking, rent, exactly. jacking prices up? Yeah. So that's interesting. And it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, Seattle now has 12, Seattle's the same size as D.C., and Seattle has 12,000 homeless people, whereas D.C. only has six. So is it Amazon, as a result, going to cause more of a homeless issue? Right. And obviously we hope it doesn't, but how do they handle that? At the same time, if you've ever been to Martin Luther King Jr. Avenue um, by the water, it's incredible, and it's this place that's still very much old D.C., right. 
Um, and I hope that it doesn't change. So are these, you know, are these final neighborhoods that are still so DC and pure going to completely transform and be gentrified? Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I think um, my personal take on uh, hedging, so to speak, against gentrification mm. is a lot of other states and other countries, they're embracing prefab. Okay. Uh, and so they have these... So, for example, they'll have um, some government, maybe government land somewhere in the yeah. area, and they'll have these prefab communities that are very nice, yeah. and they will provide them um, for homeless folks, folks that are maybe, they're significantly below the poverty line and so forth, and that has worked like really well for um, some countries that, that have gone from thousands of homeless people to none at all. That's so, amazing. you know, I'm a big fan of not inventing, not reinventing the wheel. Just yeah. find another country or city that's already doing it and, and and implement some of their practices, if not their entire practice. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, we can go on quite a bit about that. <laughs> so give us your information for folks that... Um, are interested in maybe hiring you for business or they just want to follow you on social media? What is your uh, Instagram account for folks to find you? My Instagram account is domestic, domestic.engineering. Okay. Um, my uh, website is domesticengineering.net right. and my email is bella at domesticengineering.net. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, Bella, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Still so excited to have you here. Thank now you. I'm equally excited <laughs> about having our next episode on contracting the do's and don'ts. I like that. Which I think is going to be our title. Yeah, you I like that? that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, thank you guys for listening to our podcast. Be sure to tune into our next episode, and we will see you then. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Be sure to subscribe and share. Don't be selfish. <laughs>